The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Michael Kist. Are you caught me not listening again? Benjamin Solak. You never listen. It's the Kist and Solak Show. Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kissed and Solak Show. This is episode 193, brought to you by the fine folk at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T, as always. Joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Ten Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother? Mike, everything is delicious, man. Got some <laughs> film it? to watch. Yeah, had to, had to sweat that one out a little bit, but got some film to watch. Let's talk about that for a second because we did. We already were on the fence on whether or not we were going to have time to do an all 22 film review show. And l- let me tell you this. Game Pass made a strong decision. <laughs> when it's three days late, the answer is in fact no. Yeah. And that's the thing. If you, again, if you want to, uh, you know, have a, a look at what that looks like, you can jump on my timeline. You can go on Bleeding Green Nation. I've got that stuff written out. But right, like podcast wise, Mike's got the big fancy national show. Hashtag listen to Monday Football Monday. Um, <laughs> so we're refi- we're refiguring out the schedule here at BGN Radio. The main thing to to take away from this is, as always, it is neither of our faults. It's exclusively <laughs> Game Pass's fault. We are wiped clean of all doubt. So it's been a it's been a pretty crazy week trying to catch up with everything. No film, trying to catch up with that. But so, so with that in mind, we're gonna we're gonna kind of pretend that week one didn't exist as best as we can. We're gonna move on. We're off mm-hmm. to uh, Los Angeles, and uh, Ben, let's kick this thing off with our Rams Eagles preview for week two. Let's kick it off with uh, what we know at this point. We're gonna work with the Thursday injury report as we record midday here on Friday. And for the Eagles, it's a long one, and for the Rams, there's about nothing. So uh, on Thursday, did not participate. Wide receiver Alshon Jeffrey. Still dealing with the foot, obviously. Limited participation. Brandon Graham remains in the concussion protocol, but he did have limited participation. Also, Javon Hargrave, he's dealing with the peck and the hammy. Uh, we're unsure of his status for, for week two, I believe, as of right now. Offensive tackle Lane Johnson with the ankle was limited. However, he's saying that he will be ready to go, so hopefully that's the case. Full participation. Derek Barnett, that's promising with the hamstring. Fletcher Cox, who it was it was rest Deshaun Jackson, they're saying it's rest. I don't know about all that, but he's back to full participation. Uh, offensive tackle Jason Peters 
with the knee because he is going to be on literally every single injury report for the year. This is what we expected. Running back Miles Sanders was a full participant. That's promising with the hamstring. And just quickly for the Rams before I pitch it to you, Ben, because it's so short. Uh, Gerald Everett, tight end, did uh, limited participation on wow. Thursday. Rams are really hurting coming into this one, folks. Banged up. Glad we got the Rams medical staff uh, on board. Hey, Lane's ha- Lane's got an ankle problem. Lane had an ankle problem last year. Lane had an ankle <laughs> problem coming into the Chicago playoff game 2018. This is bad. Just say, like, you know, in ter- like Lane's been dealing with an ankle, high ankle issues for, uh, to my memory, if I'm correct in remembering this, the Bears wildcard game against the Eagles in 2018. I'm pretty sure he came into that game with an injury problem, with an ankle injury. Yeah, I know there was the stretch where he had the knee sprain. I don't know if the ankle was still an issue then, but it does seem like Lane is just too doggone athletic to play offensive tackle, and his body's telling him you need to be a tight end because we can't handle this type of stress. Regardless, I know this was happening last year, and obviously it's happening again this year. As Lane brought up, like this was during offseason training as well that he made this ankle injury worse, right? Like it it flared back up. So we've got an ankle problem for Lane, and he's going to come out, and as he said, he's going to play, and he's not going to be at 100%. Don't know if that means 95. Don't know if that means 65. Uh, the edge room in, in Los Angeles isn't nearly what it is in Washington, but there's still reason for concern there, especially if Lane never gets back up to 100%. Having Lane back is going to help a ton. Miles Sanders coming back is really going to help a lot. Uh, as we oh, brought yeah. up on the recap show about Washington, both of these guys were going to help with protection. Yeah. Coming back and watching it <laughs> through, I mean, like, Jack Driscoll made some mistakes, but like he was all right. You know what I mean? The big problem was the backs. The big problem yep. was your protection schemes. And and I don't know if, you know, it's funny. Like we're all like Sanders is coming back and this is going to help. Man, Sanders was not like given a ton of pass protection responsibilities last year, but hoping that he knows what he's doing just playbook wise, as opposed to Boston Scott and Corey Clement could mean for better pass protection there. So those are the big guys coming back. The Derek Barnett return is good from a depth perspective, which is not yeah. what you want to say of a starter. Um, but Josh Sweat played himself in doggone football against the football team. And yeah, uh, uh, with, with no Vinny Curry, now Vinny Curry on IR, it's good to have Barnett back so you at least have that rotation at edge with Derek Barnett, Josh Sweat, Brandon Graham, and I believe I'm saying this correctly, Jannard Avery. I don't really know uh, who that <laughs> guy is. But yeah. So it, it, it's good for their depth that they're getting him back. Obviously good for the line they're getting those guys back. There are problems with this team that are fixed by that. There are problems with this team that aren't fixed by that. Um, But the Eagles getting healthier is, of course, good news. It's the Eagles and the Niners, man, are just these two teams that cannot stay early in the year dealing with so much injury. Yeah, and let's talk about the the recent news, too. And you made a lot of good good points there. And I think Josh Wett versus Derek Barnett is a battle to pretty much everyone that has eyes uh, after week one, except for Jim Schwartz. We'll find out how that rotation works. But let's get into what Doug Peterson said this morning in his press conference with the media. Uh, Number one, he confirmed that Nate Herbig is starting at right guard. Uh, Lane Johnson, as we said, he's ready to go. So that's the right side of the line, barring a setback for Lane. Going back to Herbig, though, uh, he's got a tough draw after, I think, playing fairly well in week one because Arnold Donald, Aaron Donald. Wow. I call Arnold, Arnold, Dar- Arnold Donald. Donald. <laughs> Aaron Donald. Uh, week one, dude, 10 pressures, six hurries, three quarterback hits, throw a sack in there. Third best pass rush productivity metric per PFF, just behind Ma- Washington's Matt Ioannidis. And, and by the way, I wonder what happened there with Ioannidis. You get the feeling that the entire game plan for the Eagles is one that's centered around getting people to say, 
wow, Aaron Donald disappeared in this game. And teams have done that in the past. The Eagles have done that in the past. It's a dumb talking point. There's a reason that it happens, though, and that's because, again, the entire game plan is centered around making you not notice Aaron Donald. Overall, though, and we could talk more about Donald if you want, but it's about not having the pocket collapse on Wentz from both inside and outside. And Doug got a little testy today when he was asked about the offensive line struggling with blitz pickups against Washington. And he's not wrong because there were issues with Wentz being the hot, Clement giving help, and also the offensive line. So it's not just one thing, right, Ben? It's a lot of things. And this is a classic example of like, everybody in this conversation is right. And you all need to stop arguing with each other in the sense of like, right. you can't give up eight sacks without everybody sucking, right? I said like something to that effect on the on the instant recap pod. Eight sacks, not like, oh, because the offensive line was bad. No, it's because everybody was bad. Like, that's a lot. When you go through and you you watch through, I really do strongly believe it's the tale of two halves. Charting just the pressures from the first half, I had one sack and one pressure for which the quarterback was responsible. Right. Wentz's fault, which was a lot of pressures and, you know, four, I think, four total sacks in the first half. Wentz, a, a guy who I've heavily criticized for his pocket management, was about as guilt-ridden, about as guilty as the running backs and the tight ends were. Richard Rodgers just did not block the down lineman yep. on, a, on a boot. Yep. Right? Corey Clement chipped Chase Young into his sack and then blew a protection on a John Bostick pressure. Uh, Jack Driscoll messed up a protection, led to a Ryan Kerrigan sack, right? So everybody's got something. Then you go into the second half when the Eagles started losing their lead and started losing the gas from their passing game. I, I would love to tell you that Washington started doing something different on defense. If anything, they started playing more quarters and less mm. cover three, but nothing that would really change where the Eagles were, in my opinion, trying to attack and, and the matchups they were going after. They just started, Wentz started to get so oriented on pushing the ball down the field. And the coaching staff and the play calling started to get so oriented on pushing the ball down the field that that's where you got those marathon holding the ball sessions from Carson Wentz. It's where you got those ridiculous, uh, you know, like uh, uh, five, six man protections where you've got like nobody breaking before 10 yards down the field. And you're just like praying that Wentz is hanging in there. And then Wentz is not making good decisions throwing the football away. And that's where you start to get the real chaos. So to me, first half, you had a good offensive, uh, a good defensive line playing a bad offensive line. And you had backs messing up protection. You had a tight end messing up protection. You had stupid scheme mistakes that your team should not be making, even with backups in there and then once we got to the second half that's where i think you had wentz and 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 peterson and whoever else is in that offensive melting pot start to really do the most start to really try to overextend themselves and it's it's frustrating because they had a 17 point lead Mm. a 10 point lead obviously going into halftime but they had what they needed in terms of of a cushion that could have allowed them to chill out and to just play a little bit more of a ball control game when you step into the Rams matchup in week two then. And you ask yourselves, okay, if everybody was bad, what do we do? You know, kind of, it's a dumb answer. It's a stupid answer. You do everything differently, right? If your backs aren't good in pass protection, check release them. Yep. Right? If, if Corey Clement's not going to know who to pick up on blitzes, then just swing him out into the flat and tell Wentz, if you're getting blitzed, throw it to Corey, 
right? He's the check down. And if he's blitzed and he can't pick up in pass protection, he's got a release and you've got to hit him behind the line of scrimmage. Is it ideal? No, but he's getting your quarterback hit. Then grab Wentz by the scuff of the neck and tell him, check the effing ball down. We're telling you, you're going to get killed. Sorry, Ben, go ahead. No, of course, right? And and that's what you do with Wentz. You tell Wentz and you say, there was a play, I swear to goodness, Mike, third and 20, (laughs) third and 20 against their own goal line. Carson, I think it was late second quarter, if memory serves. I'll tell you where to turn your books in a second. And Carson Wentz, yeah, third and 17, 347 in the second. Carson Wentz drops back. It's a four-man rush. Chase Young and John Allen do a two-man game on Jason Peters and Isaac Samalo. Tremendous rush by Chase Young, by the way, in case anyone was wondering. He's good. Carson Wentz sees he's getting pressured, turns and dumps it off. It was my favorite play of the entire game. It was better (laughs) than the Jalen Rager 55-yard throw. I don't care. (laughs) I was so happy. This was the yeah. end. It was third and 17. Washington was sitting. They were dropping seven. Everybody was playing sink. So just throw it to a little, little, you know, scamper back. He picked up 12. You know what I mean? Like he was one broken tackle away from making this like a potential first down, but it doesn't matter. What matters That's a good is, rep. what matters is getting sacked here ruins your, your punt game, right? Yeah. It ruins your ability to punt the football. So this is, this is risk management, right? This is not taking a prohibitively bad play. So. Right, and Washington ends up with the ball on the on the twenty seven yard line. Just watch the play; like that's that's what you you know right. looking one side. No. Check it, does not there. <laughs> Cammy J booms a fifty yarder. Stevenson muffs the catch, and you flip field. And like, is yep. flipping field a win? No, <laughs> but it's better than the alternative. Um, so so you take your backs and you check release them. You take Carson and you tell him we we are going to help you with play calling, but we need you to make quicker decisions underneath. You have to be more willing to take underneath throws. You And it's frustrating because even into the third, into the fourth quarter, Carson was still throwing first read stuff open. He was throwing it appropriately. He was just missing his throws. And you don't know to what extent that was something mechanical because he missed, you know, Dallas Goddard on a first quarter throw, missed Zach Ertz on the second quarter throw. You don't know to what extent that was timing, pacing, and spacing with his weapons. Uh, the Jalen Rager interception that Zach Ertz missed second quarter throw. I think he thought Zach Ertz was going to sit in between zones. And you also don't know if that's, I've been beat up so much that I'm just panicking and I'm just making yeah. bad throws and I'm jumpy. So Wentz was missing throws that, again, if, if he's hitting, they would have been solving your pressure problem for you a little bit. So that's there. And then somebody's got to tell the coaching staff, move the dude out of the doggone pocket. And <laughs> Doug Peterson brought up the point. He was like, well, we rolled him out in the first quarter. Yeah, you rolled him out in the third play. Once. Bless it. That's part of the script. It was a really nifty play. J-Jaw motioned into an H-back sniffer roll, and then they had a whole flood on, on a bootleg, and, and J-Jaw's releasing through the C-gap, took it right from Los Angeles Rams. Really nice-looking play. Yeah. That's part of your script. The only other time on this film that they tried to design get Wentz outside was on the Richard Rodgers sack, where Richard Rodgers just didn't block a dude. Richard Rodgers mm-hmm. was like, you can go, Montez Sweat. I'm going to go stand here and do nothing, right? And Wentz immediately got sacked. You gave up on it after one sack, and the only other play you ran on it was in the script. So that, that doesn't do anything for me. Like, obviously, that's good. But if once you leave your script, you're like, all right, well, we don't have any plays to get him outside of the pocket. You don't have the necessary response to what was happening, which was the amount of pressure. So there's improvements for everybody to make here, to, to, to put Wentz on, on, under less pressure. I think the main thing that you've got to look for, and the, the part that was most concerning to me was that you could not get the backs and the offensive line on the same page in pass protection. Because you can put Lane Johnson, Miles Sanders in there all you want. You can put all pros in there. If they're not on the same page, you're getting free rushers. Carson Wentz getting hit. 
And let's talk about what that means for this week, because I mean, everyone's going to be shouting it all week. I've been shouting it all week. Doug Peterson's been answering questions about it all week. But, you know, naked, bootlegs, altering launch points with moving pockets. You got to get this guy on the move. We talked about we talked about on the QB factory. I think the Rams are going to be cognizant of this and try to bottle him up. And they might not have to bring extra guys all the time to get pressure. But in this case, you really do want to discourage them from getting Wentz on the edges and allowing him to roam in that space where he can operate, you know, throw from the run, which he's really good at doing. So if the Rams do come with those blitzes, it's going to be on the line to mentally pick those up. It's also going to be on the backs to clean up their pickups. And it's on Wentz, you know, if, if, if it's five blockers and it's six blitzers, he's the hot or mm-hmm. six and seven, that there's an extra. Wentz has to know that he's the hot and get rid of the ball one way or he another. He did it one- successfully multiple times against Washington. He did. It yeah, just didn't look half, like it though. all the time. Then you get the second half, and he just got totally shaky. And you look at like his intended air yards. This this difference is, is, and we'll talk about this when we get to the Rams' offense too, but next-gen intended air yards, most of week one per throw. Carson Wentz, 12 intended air yards per throw. I don't know if that's that's well, it's part scheme, it's part Wentz. That's got to change. Look at the other side, Jared Goff. You look at his game against the Dallas Cowboys. You think, oh yeah, Jared Goff had an efficient, decent day at the office. Four point three intended air yards, literally per the throw. least in the league. The it's least complete opposites in the league. So mm-hmm. you know, maybe meet somewhere in the middle while you get this line thing figured out. But like the blitz is something that I'm concerned about coming from the Rams from the edges. Are you concerned as well, Ben? Yeah. I mean, you. Well, here's here's the thing. If the Rams watch Game One, Washington versus the Eagles, and say we don't need the blitz, I don't know what they're watching. Right, right, right. Because Washington had every blitz hitting, and they yep. were not blitzing complex stuff. They were mm-hmm. not throwing curveballs. I mean, it was pretty consistent. Like you know, like double a gap pressure from the inside linebackers it's about as standard as it gets and obviously the rams don't have the personnel that washington does in terms of spinning offensive linemen like like if they want to drop leonard floyd you know into coverage against screens instead of like montez sweat and chase young they can go for it it's not going to go as well because he's not the athlete that those guys are meanwhile like if they want to crash a Boston joseph day and greg Gaines in on twists they can go for it it's not going to be the same as matt Ionides and john allen doing it but mm-hmm. the thing is, just bringing any player's pressure from any depth is going to seriously screw with this offensive line running back protection schemes. That's what we learned from Washington. You can tidy that up. That's easy, mental, stupid mistakes. And so you might be able to see a big improvement for that for the Eagles week one to week two. But there's no way the Rams aren't going to bring that pressure. The other thing that's true, both the Rams and the Eagles, as we transition to the Eagles defense, adjusting to the Rams offense, is that the Rams have the guys to play man coverage. And when you have the guys to play man coverage, you can feel more comfortable sending more five and six man pressures. Jalen Ramsey, obviously as your corner one, can play man or zone at an elite level. But their corner two, Troy Hill, is a guy that you want playing in man coverage. He's a sticky man cover player. He's not dissimilar in terms of kind of his mold and how he's come up to what you had from Avante Maddox for the Eagles, who's playing corner two. Troy Hill's like 5'10", a buck 80. You know what I mean? Like, he's a, a smaller dude, much like Maddox is, but he's so comfortable in man. He's so quick and he's so reactive that they're able to put him out there. You got a decent safety room, Taylor Rapp, John Johnson, your ability to, to match with the Eagles' tight ends. As we know from what the Rams did in 2017 and then again in 2018 when the Eagles played them and Doug Peterson beat coach of the year Sean McVay and 
multiple games. It doesn't really matter. Um, <laughs> the Rams are extremely willing against the Eagles' 12 personnel looks to put multiple safeties in the box. The Eagles, yep. once again, came out very frequently against Washington in their YY wing sets, which we've talked about many times on this podcast. Two receivers to the wide side of the field, away from the formation. Two tight ends to the tight side of the field, attached to the formation. One on the line and one off the line. This gives you a run-pass imbalance, right? If the back is aligned to the wide receivers then the passing strength is to that side of the field. But the running strength is to the two tight end side of the field. And when you conflate run strength and passing strength, you can put defenses in really tricky spots. Namely, safeties and cornerbacks have to play linebacker-like roles as they line up over the tight end side where there's no receivers. When you get a corner in the box, you run at the corner and you're usually successful. The Rams have given this to the Eagles for two years. It's likely that they don't as easily this year now that Wade Phillips is no longer the defensive coordinator. But YY Wing still puts you in difficult situations. That being said, they're going to put those safeties over the tight ends. And once again, those will be the matchups the Eagles go for. So you're going to be able to blitz if you're LA, and you're going to be able to play man cover behind it. The Eagles, who played more man coverage than I can remember, since now adding Darius Lane, having him follow Terry McLaurin, have an opportunity here not only to play man cover now with Darius Lane over Robert Woods and have him follow him around the formation, but also blitz, which as we know from 2018, Jim Schwartz really wants to get after Jared Goff and blitz him. Let's go to the DraftKings Sportsbook official line for this one. I was a bit surprised when I pulled this up. The Eagles are one-point favorites, so Vegas has a little more confidence in the Eagles than, uh, I mean, I put that, explain how you feel about the Eagles in a GIF on uh, at BGN underscore radio, and a lot of it was uh, really, really negative or doubtful, but (laughs) Vegas feels good about this one. Eagles one-point favorites. The over-under is set at 45.5. So Vegas is kind of calling it 23 to 22 for the uh, for the Eagles. So over under and any last points you want to hit on the offense there, Ben. But do the Eagles score over 22 points? Over 23? Over 23 points. (laughs) Yeah, right? I think so. I mean, yeah, like I think, yeah, but also hopefully yes. And please, um, (laughs) I think so. I think that's that's about where you're looking at. I mean, like it takes, you know, hitting on one more deep shot for the Eagles to be at that total against Washington. And then obviously they weren't able to put up any points in the second half at all. I think, yeah, having a running game also probably help a lot just in terms of not having to to consistently try to use the screen game to manufacture stuff. I think so. I think over 23, I'll take it. Yeah, I think the Eagles bounce back a little bit as they get a guy like Lane Johnson back and things start to stabilize a little bit. They look at what went wrong week one. I'm hopeful anyway. I'm really hopeful that they can get this together. And I mean, 23 points isn't a whole lot. I think they can score 24 to 27, but we'll give our final predictions after the break here. We're going to talk about the Rams offense and what the Eagles defense can do to slow them down. That's coming up next here on the Kiston Solak Show. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And we are back here on the Kist and Solak Show, episode 193, SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation, bringing it to you. Michael Kist here with Benjamin Solak. We are previewing the Eagles and Rams. So we talked about the Eagles offense. Let's talk about the Eagles defense. And mainly, let's flip it to the Rams offense. And look, I've been critical 
of their head coach, Sean McVay. I think his offense has been a bit stagnant recently, but I really dug what he did with Jared Goff and the offense against the Cowboys. Like this is an offense where teams just started running cores against it, playing man against bunches in a stagger. And, and Jim Schwartz played off and keyed in on the 10 to 12 yard marks for the breaks for the wide receivers back in 2018 and did a great job against them. I don't think you can do that anymore and stifle this team. I don't think you can beat them in the same ways. I think this offense has evolved just a little bit. And I brought this up on the QB Factory this week with Mark Schofield. You look at Jared Goff's next-gen stat chart, and I already kind of alluded to this. Only three completions beyond eight yards in the air. Wait. Lowest. <laughs> what? Yeah. Three for seven beyond eight yards with an interception, by the way. Everything was to the perimeter and close to the line. Does that sound like an offense that Schwartz tends to stop? Because I remember the 2018 Vikings game where all that perimeter stuff hacked away at the Eagles for 30 for, for 60 minutes and I was losing my dog on mine. And like I'm still concerned about the intermediate intermediate area of the field with the linebackers. You know, if the, if the Rams get their wide receivers on a linebacker working over the middle, right? Because, you know, we'll see if Slay travels with Woods or Cup. But both of them are really tough in that area. You've also got the eye candy that they're going to get that defense with concepts working off outside zone. Also with motion, which the Rams ran at the second highest rate in week one. Rams were the second highest? Yeah. So they were first highest. Were they first? They may have changed after after some games. Either way, they ran out of dog a lot. That might be like motion actually at the snap. I don't really know. Or it's like it. jet motion or like however yeah. they bucket it. Either way, they were way up there. Yeah. All right. So. Jim Schwartz now played the Sean McVay offense two times, 2017 and 2018. Both times they give up a good amount of, of points, but they've actually been fairly good holding down the running game, right? And when you look at why, it's because the Eagles' defensive line doesn't have to worry about anything besides yeah. getting upfield, penetrating, and attacking, right? And that's the whole point, right? We talk about what does Jim Schwartz want to do on defense? He wants to get plus one in the box. Why does he want to get plus one in the box? So that his defensive line can play one gap. Why does he want his defensive line to play one gap? So that that way they can get upfield, they can penetrate, they can attack, and they can rush the passer on pretty much every down. It's a running play, you're still rushing the passer. You're just getting upfield, you're trying to penetrate, you're trying to disrupt. So we get to live in plus one in the box. Now, what the response is going to be when the Eagles are like that is going to be, as we've seen for multiple years, all right, we're going to take our outside receivers with their one-on-one coverage, and, oh, you're playing eight yards off cover three, we're going to take advantage of this, right? And as you brought up, Schwartz has been successful against the Rams in the past, keying on what are not an extremely diverse vertical route tree. They don't run a ton of isolation routes, true one-on-one, staying on one side of the field. It's a lot of crossing stuff. So they've been able to play that man coverage successfully because you're not seeing, all right, you know, here's the deep bomb to Julio, right? It's not there, right? They're crossing guys, all intermediate stuff. Yep. The other thing that you've seen is that on true passing downs where they actually do put Jared Goff in the gun or where they actually do, you know, spread it out before they don't just do like, you know, the 11 personnel type bunch, you know, reduce split from the X Schwartz blitzes Goff last mm -hmm. year, not, excuse me, not last year in 2018, uh, Jim Schwartz blitzed Goff on 50% of his third down dropbacks. And it was a, a, a crazy amount of success that they got doing it they presented wide surfaces they got nigel bradham in the b gap malcolm jenkins in the a gap rest in peace love you guys you guys are the best and he sent five and he sent six and he put the pressure on golf necessary to break off systems golf is a sean mcveigh automaton we've said this from the beginning <laughs> right he is what the head coach is and so if the head coach knows what you're doing on defense you're in trouble and if you can get golf 
off of that initial read. If you can force Goff to process something post-snap because you're generating a rush or you're dropping a guy into a different zone, you've got the ability to break his systems and he's going to make mistakes. He's going to throw interceptions. So we, we talked in, in the summer before the 2019 season about Schwartz saving the Eagles 2018 playoff run right. by what he did against the Rams in that game, which Nick Foles ended up winning. Critical game. So all of this history considered, the new variable is Darius Slay. What he brings in terms of man coverability is extremely important. Darius Slay was locked down on Terry McLaurin in week one. And for a lot of people, that may not mean what it means to me, because I don't <laughs> think people realize what McLaurin's about to do in year two. Yeah. He's a doggone good ball player. Darius Slay kept him quiet in week one. I think we're going to realize by week five how difficult it is to keep Terry McLaurin quiet for an entire game. Yes, sir. The Eagles were in man cover. True man coverage, both often occasionally impressed, but typically enough, more than I can remember them being in the last few years under Schwartz. Uh, occasionally a game here, a game there, they would sprinkle it in there. But we're assuming this is indicative of a pattern because of the new addition of Darius Slay. So Eagles are going to try to play man cover behind their box, which they haven't been able to do previously. It is a big deal, right? If you remember in 20, yeah, it was 2018. This was the one game where Avante Maddox had to play outside corner because of injuries, right? Because of the Rasul Douglas injury and the Cindy Jones injury and the freaking everybody, Ronald Darby and Jalen Mills injuries and whatever. And Maddox, who'd been playing free safety for the last three games, came in over Josh Reynolds and the Rams tried to hammer that matchup and Maddox was successful. They were playing a man coverage with Maddox because that's yeah. what they, they, they needed him to do. He also played a little bit of zone, obviously, because that's what his background was in the in that 2018 season but they were able to play man with Maddox over Reynolds and it goes back to what you said there's not a lot of isolation vertical routes in this offense so you should expect heavy boxes they're going to get multiple linebackers on the field three linebacker sets they don't have Malcolm Jenkins to be a quasi linebacker so they're going to get Jalen Mills in there as well you're going to have Darius Lane Avante Maddox tracking wide receivers running across the formation with jet motion playing man coverage what the concern here now is, one, the screen game that the Rams and McVay opened up against the Cowboys. Rams, uh, uh, McVay likes to call series football. He wants to call four plays that all look exactly the same at the snap. And one is an outside zone run, and the other is a play-action bootleg pass off the outside zone run. And the next one is a play-action outside zone, fake the boot pass, throw the backside screen, and then the next one is fake the outside zone, fake the play-action pass, fake the backside screen, throw it deep, right? right? Everything looks the same and builds off itself. So I would call it series football. McVay threw so many screens in his opening scripts, both in the opening first half script and in the opening second half script against the Cowboys because he could show them the same thing get the defense flowing one way, pull them back the other way, and then all of a sudden hit a screen where the Cowboys believed that the ball was never going. They believed it was misdirection the whole time and get massive chunk games with very, very easy passes. The Eagles defensive line likes to play upfield. The kryptonite to upfield defensive lines is screen games. The other thing that you have to worry about is just the plain old running game. And this circles back to who now occupies the second level for the Eagles. Because the Eagles lost Nigel Bradham. They lost Kamu Grugier-Hill. They lost Malcolm Jenkins. This team, more than any team in the league, perhaps save for the San Francisco 49ers, works your linebackers. Intermediate passes, screens, and a heavy wide zone running game. 
if you listen to this pod, you should know that's that's your linebacker. That's your second level. That's sinking. That's reading play action, sinking intermediate zones, filling your your, your gaps, being quick to, to flow against climbers so you can fill up in the trees. It's a lot of work for your linebackers. And the Eagles linebacking core is terrible. So they're better suited at corner to play the man cover they need to be successful blitzing, to be successful on late downs. But I'm not sure how many late downs they're going to get this Rams offense into because I'm not sure they have the linebackers to just survive against the run game and the screen game, let alone play mm. action passes. So that's your big concern there is what you're going to get out of Nate Gary, TJ Edwards in that group. Do you think that the Rams just, I mean, they, they attempted 40 rushes against Dallas, 27 passes. At 153 yards rushing, that was, I think, like one of the higher totals of week one, but only 3.8 yards per attempt. We have always said it's better for the Eagles when teams try to run against them. Mm-hmm. I would love for McVay to come out with a run-heavy game plan. I just don't know if that's in the cards. I think like it, the thing with the, uh, a potential heavy run game against the Eagles, and you saw this a little bit in week one because Antonio Gibson was able to get a couple of decent-sized runs is that the Eagles linebacking core is not good enough to be neutral in the box. Like they have to have you gapped out. And we've said previously, like Jim Schwartz wants to be gapped out. His goal is to be gapped out, have a player for every single gap, have that unblocked guy and make that tackle. But if you're not getting production behind the line of scrimmage from Fletch, from Balik, from Javon Hargrave, who's potentially back for this game, probably not, but we could see, then I don't see how you're going to successfully get Nate Gary, TJ Edwards, Sean Bradley, flowing against an improving, mobile, and powerful offensive line in the Rams and expect them to win those blocks at the second level. They never have. They never have. Nate Gary, for all that he is, the good plays that he makes typically come when he's penetrating, when he's unblocked. He does not take on blocks while he's an ex-safety. He does not play through contact when he doesn't take good angles through contact. And that's your best linebacker. Meanwhile, the guy who used to solve all these problems was Malcolm Jenkins. Ridiculous pre-snap recognition, the ability to play linebacker at 220 pounds. He's not here anymore. The Malcolm Jenkins replacement played corner last year. I think the Eagles are going to get run up. I think that Jared Goff's going to attempt 18 passes. Why would you throw the ball on an Eagles team that is clearly built to rush the passer and play man coverage? They're going to send blitzes too. You know what I mean? They're going to blitz your they're going to blitz your quarterback in long and late downs. The, the the Rams will be perfectly happy to run the football on the Eagles. And I think that that could be indicative of a paradigm change that you see. Like you said, we've always said, love it when teams run it on us. We have the best run defense ever. Eagles yeah. have been good stopping the run against the Rams for the last two years. I'm worried this is the game where the Rams break it open. Peyton Barber last week for, uh, for Washington mm-hmm. faced eight plus man boxes on over 40% of his runs. That was, you know, top four of the week one slate because it would not be an NFL week that the Eagles played without loading the box up 40% plus against the opposing running back. So yeah, I would expect the Eagles try to load the box, try to blitz a little bit and see what they can do. Are you worried at all about the matchup between Cooper Cup and Dekel Roby Coleman? That's actually one that kind of fascinates me because I've been a big NRC fan uh, for the past few years. I've also been a big, big Cooper Cup fan. Yes, you're a nerd. If they're going to play, if they're going to play man, who do you think wins that matchup? And do you think Nick, can, can you think NRC can just like survive and not and not just get like torched up a little bit? I think the the cup NRC matchup is less interesting to me, TBH, than the Van Jefferson Avante Maddox matchup. Oh, okay. because in order for Maddox to be successful, he jumps. He's very aggressive on the first cut. Got it. He's 
gotta be disciplined against Van right. because Van is very polished, man. Van lies He'll get you going. to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the thing is, like, Cup lies to you too, right? These are both really good route runners. And I think Ro- Roby Coleman, who's number one event, number two, went up for a whole year. Was it two years or one year he was in L.A.? But anyway, he went up against Cup for a couple years, I believe, given when Cup was drafted and when Roby Coleman was there. And he knows the offense. He knows where the guys want to get. He's comfortable with that. It's going to be Avante, who was good against Josh Reynolds in 2018. Excuse me. He was good against Josh Reynolds in 2018. There's no taking away from that. Reynolds is a catch point size guy, runs some good routes, but it's really just what he's doing in the air. Van will break your head and break your ankles. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that, that cat can play. I uh, I was on a Rams podcast talking about it and they said like, you know, what what's the X factor for the, the Rams? And I said, it's whoever target two is. Slay's probably going to follow Woods. And I think that Woods will get attention and Woods will get his behind the yard, behind the line of scrimmage touches and whatever, but I think Slay's going to handle him down the field. If you want, right, if you want it to be Van against Avante, I think you have an advantage there. And if you want it to be Tyler Higby against fill in blank, (laughs) TJ Edwards, Nate Gary, Jalen Mills doesn't matter. You have an advantage there. Yeah. And however you want to distribute those targets, that target two is going to be the one who matters not only for the Rams, but for most of the Eagles opponents going forward. I think it's a big test for the back end too, right? Like working in conjunction with the corners uh, right. mentally as well. I think we're going to yeah. see that a lot early if, in this year. Right. If the Eagles defense is going to be successful in this game, they're going to win early downs. They're going to produce behind the line of scrimmage with the defensive line first and 10. You know, we've, we've touched on this a lot less than like BLG has, but Fletch got a big contract. Austin Blythe, Joe Noteboob, and Austin Corbett is the interior defensive off, offensive line for this Rams team. Nobody on that te- on that trio should be able to block Fletcher Cox consistently, and they need backfield production in this game yeah. against zone, right? And so the Eagles, who like love to crash Brandon Graham against zone, love to have Fletcher Cox, you know, shoot the a gap against zone. You those guys, you're big money. You gotta be successful in early downs. That's going to put the Rams in clear passing situations, which is going to loosen the linebacker's responsibility against play action, which will make it easier to take away the short intermediate stuff that they want on their RPO game and on their quick play action game. It's going to force Goff to throw outside of the numbers, deeper down the field, and that's where you're going to want Darius Slay to to win your job for you. So early down, Eagles win that. They get into their blitz packages. They're successful. Rams win that. They can keep running the football. It's going to be a long night. So first and 10, Big money guys on the defensive line, Cox and, and Brandon Graham. Those are the dudes that I'm looking for to be successful. To me, that's who gets stressed out the most here. All right, let's go back to the DraftKings Sportsbook for the official line on this one. Eagles are one-point favorites. We said that the Eagles would get over 23 points. Vegas is saying it's going to be around 23 to 22 Eagles. So we said over for the Eagles offense. Ben, over 22 points for the Rams? Question mark. And what is your final prediction? Over mm-hmm. 24-23 Eagles. See what I did there? <laughs> no. Uh, so, I'll, I'll be frank. I think the Eagles win. I think Peterson goes 3-0 and against McVay. I think that Schwartz is a good beat on what he needs to do against that McVay offense. And again, I'm not going to tell you. I think they've given up between 20 and 30 points both times. And that's not great. But I think it's 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 good relative to what this offense can do to teams. So, I think that, that they're going to hold them to low 20s. I believe that. I think Darius Slay is a big part of that. Okay. Offense-wise, I, I hesitate to say this because I don't want to entrap myself. There's a lot of easy, stupid stuff 
that can get fixed from week one to week two. It can get fixed across the course of a week. That is very possible. That will just make this Eagles offense so much better. So much better. And that, and, and, and this Eagles offense, it, it was good. It was good against Washington for a majority of the game. And then it just imploded. And so there's reason to believe that this offense is going to be more successful. I think getting Deshaun on the field more consistently, I don't know why the Eagles distributed snap counts like they did at wide receiver, but... Jalen Rager had 59%, Jackson had 54%, Ward had 44%, uh, Whiteside had 41%, Hightower had 40%. Pick your good receivers and play them. I mean, this is stupid. So (laughs) there's so much easy stuff that I think can get solved. I think it will, and I think the offense will play better. If it doesn't, and this is why I say I don't want to trap myself, it's time to start getting a little bit like, what are we doing here? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. what the frick's going on? Like, there, there's 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 patience for the opening half of the season. But you can't watch that Washington film and not walk away with a laundry list of just 30-minute errands to just clean up your offense. We expected some sloppiness. <laughs> there was some sloppiness. There's going to be – it's easy stuff to fix. And it should get fixed across the course of a week. Yeah, and it's going to be a problem if the Eagles go 0-2. Teams historically uh, don't have a real great chance at making the playoffs – when they do that. But I, I do agree that I think the Eagles just overall look better, look like a more cohesive unit. I still have this 27 to 24. Doug Peterson finally drops one to Sean McVay. And here's the thing. If the Eagles win with that with that kind of score, like I think it's because Sean McVay and his weird late game situation, play calling, cowardice, whatever you want to call it, uh, pops up its ugly head again and keeps the Eagles in the game. So look, Hope the Eagles win. I think they look better. But right now, the Rams are just playing better football. We'll see. So, Ben, any last thoughts on this one uh, or for the gentle listeners before we uh, before we call it a week for us? If the Eagles lose this, they get the Bengals, and then they get the Niners, and then they get the Steelers, and then they get the Ravens. Or the 40, uh, but are the 49ers, the, like, the for, like when we say the 49ers, that, okay, that, right, had, right, that carried, right, right, that right carried now, like whoa, a certain way. <laughs> right now, who wins? Rams or 49ers? If they play tomorrow. I think it's really close. Mm. I think it's really close. I don't think that, I mean, watch that 49ers offense without Debo, without Ayuk, without the Yak guys to prop up Jimmy G's air yards. I have a bit of an issue there. The defense, I'm still kind of wait and see. Like, I still think they can be a top five unit. They didn't necessarily look like look, look, look like it against the Cardinals, but they also struggled against the Cardinals last year. Right. Plenty of talent, though. Plenty Here's of talent. The They're banged up at corner, too. That Cardinals offense is quickly approaching defense agnostic because they get rid of the ball so fast that you can't right. rush them and even yeah. if you get there murray's just a little mouse just a little yeah. running a little scamper bunny boy just and he's gone and so yeah. they're just so difficult to get pressure on and then last year it was like oh we can cover them and they were like we got deandre hopkins it's like well frick <laughs> right. we can't do that anymore you know what i mean so that offense can be good i don't think yeah. that's a big referendum on the niners i agree with you that like sherm going on ir is concerning yeah. But to me, I think the Niners are still a measurably better team than the Rams. I just The moral of the story here is I it would be ideal if the Eagles did not lose to the Rams in week two. That would be a problem. <laughs> I would not like for that to happen. Uh, we'll That's see. a good point. I, um, let me see. Hang on. Talking about blitzing. Herbig played well. Impressed. If Herbig were Pryor and Pryor played like that, I'd be taking a victory lap because I said Pryor would be a good guard. Meanwhile, it's Herbig. Pryor's just, like not getting any reps. But Herbig <laughs> played well, and we got to acknowledge that. thought Sean Bradley was fun. Sean Bradley's my official guy in the Eagles linebacking room now. I like it. Uh, you know, the, the 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 guy from the Temple program told me that I would like his game, and I really want to watch his watch his film. He said he's my type of linebacker. Yeah. I didn't love his film coming out, yeah. but, you know, maybe there's something there. He's long. That's it. 
<laughs> just you know, like here's the thing when tj edwards and nate gary are chasing down plays that they can't make or you know bailing into coverage that they miss they don't have recovery ability sean bradley does nice and it's long davian taylor didn't take a defensive snap yeah jalen hurts didn't take an offensive snap getting a lot of use out of those second and third round players man what the heck don't worry about it though the eagles first round pick had one catch so <laughs> it was a big one problem solved i mean maybe. yeah yeah <laughs> jj played well yeah. zero targets <laughs> he was open it was open a lot of underneath stuff eagles didn't want to throw any underneath stuff right so he's i mean like i have a i have a half of a joke of a take people okay. have been like you know okay if the eagles move on from zach Ertz, and then dallas goddard starts getting all that attention that Ertz got <sighs> who's gonna you know benefit like what's gonna happen jay jaw jay jaw's eagles third tight end <laughs> in terms of like <laughs> Route distribution Honestly. and where they line them up and what routes they give them. Yeah. Jay Jaw is a tight end to the Eagles. He runs <laughs> the exact same routes that Ertz and Goddard do with the exact same depth. But I anyway, if they were more willing to throw the ball underneath in the second half, he would have had like three targets, three catches. It wouldn't have been an amazing game. But just to say that a zero target game doesn't concern me. He was opening up. He was released and he is successful in his routes. Targets will come. That's everything I had. All right. Go say goodbye to the gentle listeners. Oh, hey. that's it? Okay. All right. Hey. We all. Hey. No. Bye yep. forever. All right. Yep. The Eagles lose. You'll never hear me on this podcast again. No. <laughs> no reason to panic. Everything is okay. Rams are a good ball team. Eagles are a good ball team. Eagles are going to win some games. Hopefully this is one of them. We hope that we've got you prepared for whatever happens, win or lose, come this Eagles-Rams game, which is a one o'clocker on Sunday on Fox, if memory serves. Right? There's no way the Eagles and the Rams aren't playing on Fox, right? The most like cool NFC teams. Yeah, it's Fox. I know what I'm talking about. Uh... <laughs> In the immediate wake of the show, you will find uh, Mike and I on the recap podcast. You also find the tweet uh, asking for your three-word reaction to the game on Twitter. That's at BGN underscore radio. So if you're on Twitter and you're not following, please follow. And if you're listening to this podcast, you should rate, review, and subscribe on whatever app you listen to this podcast, not just Twitter, but the podcast app as well. He's been Michael Kist on Twitter, at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter, at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. BleedingGreenNation.com. BGN Radio. NFL uh, Monday Football Monday. SB Nation. What's, what's like the name of the feed? Is it just SB Nation NFL? Show? The SB Nation NFL show. How do you not know that? Do you not? You should be listening to every single episode. Well, no, 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 no. That's what I thought it was. But I was like, maybe, is, it, is it like got an actual name or is it just an SB Nation NFL show? And it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I listen to everything that you say all the time. Even when you're not on a mic, I'm just there in Same. the background, just mm. listening, taking notes. <laughs> yeah. Go, birds. We all we got. We all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. Cheese.